Thank you for joining with us for another episode of Morning Briefings here on the Pipeline Intercession for the President and on our podcast. If you have any dreams that you have about the office of the president, please send them to pip at christiancentershreveport.com. We're so thankful that you all have joined in with us on this prayer journey, and we look forward to standing with you not only today, but in the days ahead. So with that, we'll go ahead and join today's broadcast as we talk about the news and stand on the wall for this nation and the office of the president. Good morning, good morning, everyone. Zach Arsketting coming to you live from North Carolina. And today we want to talk about the need for perseverance and persistence as well, but more so focusing on perseverance in these days. And this comes off of the cusp of last week, our focus being on continuing to be focused on the victory in the days ahead and as we still entering into the month of August and almost ha- more than halfway through almost to the end of our focus on revival as well of do we have the perseverance and this is a question do we have a perseverance to wait for revival of even the Brownsville revival took years of prayer and intercession from those within the the church there and the community there cried out for it. Uh, the Welsh revival, the revivals, uh, the Great Awakening before it, it was it was a a changing of heart and of season for those people to persevere despite the natural surroundings of what may seem like something that um, could never go and. The direction of a revival. And so I want to focus in on a key passage that of scripture that Jesus points out to his disciples on the need for perseverance with prayer in Luke 18 verses 1 through 8. And so I want to read this whole passage because I think it really gives us a deep understanding of how we can prepare our hearts and our minds to be able to persevere, letting go of the worries of this world, trusting in the Lord, uh, not number one, to be able to provide for us, but the, to number two is, is the reason it's important for us to continue to have faith in the coming of justice in the days of head and not being impatient and, and stressed out when things don't go the way we think that they should. So I'll bring this up. As we go through it, and, and it's New American Standard, it's titled, um, or no, it's Amplified, um, Parables on Prayer is what it's titled, and goes through and says, Now Jesus was telling the disciples a parable to make the point that at all times they ought to pray and not give up and lose heart, basically, perseverance, saying, and I want to go through this because the bottom of this is, chapter, uh, verse 8 is really key, key here. Verse two, saying, "In a certain city, there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect, did not and had no respect for man. There was a desperate widow in that city, and she kept coming to him and saying, "Give me justice and legal protection for my adversary." For a time, he would not, but later he said to himself, "Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow continues to bother me, I will give her justice and legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she." will be in intolerable annoyance, and she will wear me out. 
This is what the um, unjust judge says. Then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not our just God defend and avenge his elect, his chosen ones, who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay in providing justice on their behalf? And here's the key point right here. I will tell you that he will defend and avenge them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find this kind of persistence, this kind of faith on the earth? Meaning that when the justice of the Lord comes, it will come and it will be swift. But in the meantime, is number one, are we having the persistence and perseverance to continue to number one, pray and believe and trust in him and have the faith that he will come and bring about the Lord's justice? Or are we going to give in, not have faith, and not continue to persist and not continue to, to pray? Even though sometimes we may not see whether it be um, something we're praying about. And look, the great example is Roe v. Wade. 50 years, people believed, prayed, um, tried to get the courts to overturn things, get involved with the legislature. And if that's what it takes, that's what it takes to establish a biblical principle and Chris, reading some of Chris Valentin this weekend is he talks about how, you know, sometimes is maybe the Lord causes things to persist to see if we'll continue to go through some things. And through that, we build a foundation of Scripture, and, and sometimes it's okay that things take a while as we build number one, our relationship, and we force ourselves to build our faith and trust in the Lord to do what he says he's going to do. And a lot, and the reason that's important is a lot of the prophetic you're hearing right now is about quick, fast. And I'm not saying that that there's not always a case for that, but a lot of it has kind of fallen flat on its face. A lot of that type of prophetic. And so I want to position us to say, okay, Lord, if it comes fast, great. But we're going to sit here and we're going to persevere. We're going to pray for whatever's going on in our lives, our cities, our states, our, our nation specifically. Um, and even in the office of the president, of Lord, can you reveal to us what is going on inside there uh, that we can pray and try to overturn um, through the will of the Lord what these spirits are to be able to allow the gospel of the kingdom to be spread in this nation and for this nation to reach the, its destiny, which is to spread the gospel of the kingdom to the nations. So we we start off on that. Is Do we have the perseverance and persistence to number one, pray and have faith in the Lord that when he comes and when his justice comes and when it comes swiftly, will we be there waiting faithfully for his return? Now, it could be, be tomorrow, it could be a thousand years from now. As Rick Joyner says, is, is pray as if he comes tomorrow, live as if he's not coming for a thousand years. All right, now, onto the news. I want to look a little bit international, uh, keep a perspective there. If you haven't had a chance to listen to my dad's podcast, uh, I, I would highly suggest listening to that. It gives a lot of perspective and, and clarifying some things that he said on the noon prayer on Friday um, due to the bad connection in Slovakia. Um, and that's how it is sometimes in these countries. Uh, you have bad internet connections. He clarifies some things there that kind of went um, miscommunicated due to the connection there. But we want to stay kind of in that this region there, uh, in that side of the world, uh, in the Middle East. And Daily Wire is doing an investigation 
Uh, right now it's a th three-part series. And the third part is about how China and Russia are now working with the Taliban-controlled Afghanistan one year after U.S. withdrawal. And I want to point this key point out is, okay, we know Russia is building relationships with the Taliban. Um, we've touched on that a little bit, uh, but there's two points to other points about this. Number one, the U.S. is giving humanitarian aid upward up to $567 million to NGOs in Afghanistan. In Afghanistan, that are being controlled themselves by the Taliban. Very interesting. Our taxpayer dollars is going towards that. But here's an interesting part: is part is the Justice or the State Department of the United States is saying this about China and Afghanistan's relationship. It said they they're saying that China has made the decision to accept um diplomatic credentials of Taliban representatives and has permitting them to operate the Afghan embassy in Beijing out of what the State Department is calling a desire to gain influence with the Taliban. It also goes on to say that China wants to connect with Afghanistan via a railroad, and it is also concerned with Afghanistan harboring terrorists and Chinese separatists. In its efforts to deepen relationships with the Taliban, the PRC government has promoted business opportunities in Afghanistan to BRC, PRC businesses, including in the natural resources sector. Uh, openly providing China is openly providing humanitarian aid directly to the Taliban. So this is a, a major issue a year ago when the United States left of leaving these as they were then controlled by American businesses now they're being controlled these natural resource fields uh, are being controlled by china's communist party businesses and, and the state in general and so we need to be aware of what's going on over there because it will ultimately affect um us and then involved in this yesterday something to note is that the ba um president biden was on a phone call with several leaders um, from around the world, including uh, French President Emmanuel Macron, uh, Boris Johnson, and Germans, Germany's uh, Chancellor Olaf Scholz in negotiations and really talks around uh, Iran and the nuclear deal and getting back into that, which is very, very problematic. And there's another report uh, by Just the News, John Solomon, about how there are those within the State Department um, and National Security Council, who are still in negotiations with Iran, Russia, China, and Turkey to get them back into the Iran nuclear deal, which is problematic, and talks of allowing investigators to go in um, to Iran to look at the facilities, supposedly, and then also um, possibly getting uh, supposedly, Macron has had a negotiation talks with Vladimir Putin to let the same inspectors into the uh, nuclear facilities held by Russia in Ukraine territory. So there's a lot of things happening with what's going on in the world, and and, and we just want to be aware of what's going on because if the Biden administration is still pushing for the Iran nuclear deal, that means they're pushing for a two-state solution, uh, which obviously the Lord is would not be happy with and something is very mindful of us that here who are praying. So we want to continue to pray for uh, the Biden administration, repent for them for trying to divide the land, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and intercede for the Biden administration 
uh, and military leaders to have the fear of the Lord when deciding and making decisions on what to do with Israel and Iran. There are those within the State Department. There are those in the National Security Council who do not um, like how these negotiations are going. That's why some of them resigned um, several years ago uh, because they realized the person who is leading this from the Biden administration is very weak and is causing problems and not how you negotiate on these matters and knowing that it is very problematic. Hopefully those people can have more of a voice um, now and in the season ahead as um, higher pressures come on the Biden administration to push forward with this. And there is no reason from the Iranian standpoint of view to get back into this deal. If anything, to quote unquote ease the sanctions for the rest of the world, but they're they're doing just fine with their business with Russia and China. And now Turkey and and the Nicaragua and Venezuela, Cuba and other countries uh, that they have built a really a, another world economic system despite the sanctions being put on by the United States and Europe. Now, some good news in the United States, and I want to pull this article up, is uh, the Epoch Times is reporting that a federal judge out of Louisiana, uh, Western District of Louisiana, ruled that the Biden administration overreached with its ban of uh, blocking oil and natural gas leases, and the 13 states who came together and filed the suit uh, in Louisiana won their case and showing in part because part of the legislature legislation that was used to enact these oil and gas sales show that if you're going to had it written in it and this is what the judge looked at um judge terry Doughty out of the u.s western uh u.s district judge for the western district of louisiana ruled the white house overreached um, with the ban in saying that both both statutes that were that these things fell gas and um, oil fell under uh, required government defendants agencies to sell oil and gas leases. The five-year plan um, requires that gas be sold, and ultimately he, he goes down. He says by stopping the process, the agencies are in effect amending two congressional statutes. Neither of these cases. Uh, give the government defendants agency the authority to implement a stop of lease sales. And, and he goes on to later explain that, look, you have to – basically, if you're going to prevent them and stop them, you have to have it be a vote via Congress. You can't just write an executive order and do it. And this is the, the understanding that the Biden administration has is, number one, they really don't care about the Constitution, and number two, and they're doing it by their actions. They're following suit from the, the Obama administration as most of them are the same people. But number two is, is you have to have a judge willing and having a backbone and the people having a backbone to stand up to them. This is why they write these executive orders because they know um, it's going to go into effect. Now, supposedly these the sales are going to be revived, but then at the same time is they may appeal it, put it further um, into the court system, keep it there, fight it, delay it, cause problems longer. But this is a major victory because it was a permanent block on this actions from the Biden administration. So while there are some things that they're doing that are complete overreach, um, as those who follow the proper procedures, bring the proper cases, argue them correctly, and that's why we pray for these golden court cases. But 
and more so of understanding that, look, just because they say they want something, and they, they're obviously doing this because it's hard to get things passed via Congress and the Senate right now, and so they're trying to do anything and everything that they can. Um, and staying on this topic of energy, I want to pull up a video uh, of an interview with um, Energy Energy Secretary uh, Jennifer Granholm, who talked about uh, on Fox News Sunday the need for families to use uh, tax credits to help themselves in this season of economic inflation. And, and I want to play this just so we understand the mindset of this administration. Really, you could make the same argument we were talking about tax breaks for adding solar panels, energy efficient windows, appliances, heat pumps. You know, what do you say to the families who simply can't afford this stuff in the first place? Well, number one, for your home, yes, there are significant incentives in this bill, which is great to reduce people's energy costs on a monthly basis. Mm -hmm. So if you are low income, you can get your home entirely weatherized through the expansion from the bipartisan infrastructure law, a significant expansion. You don't have to pay for anything. If you want uh, heat pumps, insulation, new windows, that is covered. If you are moderate income, today you can get 30% off the price of solar panels. Those solar panels can be financed, so you don't have to have the big outlay at the front. And when they're financed, they're financed to the in a way that reduces your energy bill, even though you have solar panels. With this 30% off, it's a significant incentive. Same thing with, if you, are, if you don't qualify for the weatherization program, you will be able to, starting next year, get rebates on the, the appliances and equipment that will help you reduce your monthly energy bill by up to 30 percent this is all about reducing costs for people and yet the electricity prices continue to go up and really and that's hilarious and yet the energy prices continue to go up so several things here she's obviously doing a sales pitch job um, for the things that she's fighting for electric vehicles etc and stuff like that and this is not a knock on those things this is a knock on where does the government stand in these issues, in these in the state of inflation, of why it's important to pray for current and future leaders to have wisdom and fear of the Lord. So she talked about how this will reduce the cost of energy for homes. That is up for debate. Um, it is very speculative, and you're – you're going the, – the reason it, it, it's a very problematic is that the government is forcing the hand of the entire country, 300-plus million people, to go down this road because they say so based upon no evidence whatsoever. Again, I'm going to point back to – and I always point back to this – is when investors look into this, they walk away from it eventually because it's unreliable. It's inconsistent at best. Um, and it's still yet to be determined if this is a sustainable source of energy for the future. Big, big, big name to, to look at and, and study is T. Boone Pickens. If you remember, in the early 2000s, he went around went around on his wind turbine tour trying to get every community in existence who would give him money um, and would even consider possibly putting up wind turbines to go around and do it. And then he got some to, to actually give in and cave and put them up and realize, oh, this is number one, a bad investment because it doesn't do they don't do what originally said to do. And that happens a lot with new technologies. 
but the factor is, is eventually things should change. And unfortunately they're not now. She goes on to talk about how, um, those who are in low income, medium income, if you would just spend money, we'll give you a tax credit. And hopefully one day in the foreseeable future, you'll be able to lower your energy costs. You can't lower your energy energy cost by increasing your monthly payment on energy by six seven hundred dollars just to be able to install windows, pumps, and solar panels. It's it's very um, problematic and, and just missing the point entirely. And there's this great article. It's very somewhat satirical uh, from Tim Meads of Tim Meads of the Daily Wire saying that hey neat spend a thousand dollars on green energy and the feds will give you a three hundred dollar tax credit to reduce inflation. Thanks Biden. And what he does is he goes through a scenario where okay let's say you have a home that you have only four windows. Think about that. How many homes have four windows? Yeah, not a lot. If you had a home. Maybe an apartment, but if you're an apartment, it's up to the the owner of the apartment complex to be able to put up solar panels, and they're still going to pass any cost along to you. And he goes through and, and does the math, and this is a very low-end estimate showing that the very thing of you have to spend one – you have to spend $1,000 in order to save $300. Now, this is for the home specifically. It, and that's if things stay as is cost-wise. And on this four-bedroom home, estimated around, if you did a, just the solar panels in and of itself, around $16,000, and you would get back via tax credits around $4,800. So, yeah, three-to-one, four-to-one. Now, if you had more, more windows, bigger homes, et cetera stuff, you're going to be spending more. Now, you could possibly how it works out. Okay, you give over your your you're not paying for it. The government subsidizes it, but yet you're still paying for it in taxes. And this shows the problem with that of people who let's say they're barely able to afford these things in the first place. Now you're saying, hey, go spend money to make to save money. That that's not how math basic math works. Then you get into the fact of these electric vehicles. Which this is very interesting. I was reading this this morning. This is why we, we want to be aware of this uh, um, for an intellect's sake, but sober and aware of what's going on. So these tax credits that people can get, and she even says this on her interview. If you're getting a, uh, getting a new car, you can save up to uh, $7,500 uh, in tax credits back if you can afford a new car, which very interestingly enough, um, numbers from July – on what it costs to buy an electric vehicle is up to $62,893. So almost $63,000 for a new electric vehicle. Compare that to last year when it was $55,000. So this, oh, it's only $55,000 to buy a new car, electric vehicle. Well, now it has gone up to $63,000. Then on top of that, the comparison to buying any other car that's not electric, the average price is right above forty-seven thousand, and this is coming from um, uh, Edmonds uh, Car Analysis, where they're looking at vehicles being sold through dealerships. Now that doesn't even include Tesla. Uh, Rivian and, and Lucid, where they're not sold through dealerships and they don't have those numbers, which means those numbers for electric vehicles could be even higher. 
And the reason I want to point this out is because we need to understand this, and I think we do, but let's just continue to follow this. And those of you who are, are still staying on and following along and listening is we understand the realities of, okay, if this really works, and this is a question of why are the cost of these things continuing to go up? Um, and someone who works for I, an analyst who works for these one of these car analyst companies, they said the prices of everything are going in the wrong direction. And everyone knows that at the end of the day, price is the big, biggest factor in determining what people buy. That's that's the problem problem of it. But then also the fact of is that we talked about it before, but these tax incentives of what people are doing, car companies are doing. And maybe they'll start doing it in solar panels and windows and heat pumps and all these other things. Of They're just raising the price to the amount of the tax credit that people could possibly get. So not only are you paying higher prices due to inflation, government's forcing you down this road, but companies are raising their prices to be able to get back the tax credit that you're supposedly saving. So in, at the end of the day, you're saving nothing. Um, and so – we point this out to being actually aware of what's going on, but again, to pray for the leaders in the White House, um, just break this spirit of mammon off because the question that still has yet to be answered about these quote-unquote green energy stuff is, is it sustainable in the future? And whenever people look at that, analysis doesn't really go well. And then the fact of it is, is the government is forcing the hand of the entire economy to go down this road. That has not always been the best um, option, especially in America, as you have vast amounts of people who rely upon, in this instance, um, combustion engines and cars to be able to get around on a daily basis. And then the, then think about the investment of uh, rate rail and train and et cetera, stuff like those type of investments would just be astronomically more. Now, so things to be aware of this week is a decision coming out of the administration on what to do with student loan payments. Most likely what analysts are saying is that they will continue to delay or the, the, um, a stall, basically the same thing that they're doing now of being forced people, kids being forced to pay and, and people have student loans, anybody who has student loans to be forced to pay. The reason this is important is because if those go back into effect, um, it could cause even more of a situation there. Um, biblically, there is possibly a decision that could be made uh, that you could argue for of, okay, if they are, there's principal payments that they should pay, they should pay back the principal and not add interest. Obviously, there is somewhat of a biblical argument that you go back to in Old Testament times of forgiving debt. Um, I mean, there, there's there's a host of issues on this, so it's just something to be aware of. And look, I personally have student loans, and I'm for people having – look, you signed an agreement. You paid it back, um, and economically, mathematically, that for the entire country uh, would be better as if you forgave as they're doing now in some of these situations. Um very problematic for the overall economy, but then the fact of is is people need to wake up to this. The, the biggest thing to get from this is government involvement in these issues, uh, and then when you look at the rising cost of higher education, uh, I think it is every year it, it prices increase for schools like sixteen percent because they know the government's going to raise and give student loans, and it's problematic for people. Um, 
especially for underwater basket weaving type of degrees that they're getting. Um, also this week, just some things a bit pay attention to is the Alaska. Oh no, excuse me. Florida primaries, New York uh, house primaries, and then Oklahoma Senate special election GOP primary runoff. So we have a couple of primaries of before Florida will be the big, the big one as uh, the Democrats narrow down their field for who will be running against DeSantis. At the end of the day, I don't think it really matters. Um, people are pretty happy with uh, how he's been running the state. There's uh, one lady who worked in the administration, DeSantos' administration, who is um, sounding off on a lot of things, but at the end of the day, I, there's not really a lot of heat behind what she's saying as far as validity. Uh, so we just want to continue to pray for voters um, ahead of the midterms and, and even in these primaries to vote for candidates based upon biblical moral values and to get out and go and vote. Because this issue for um, whether a state should stand with life or abortion and death um, is being a big incentivizing factor for people to get out and vote. Uh, so as we saw in Kansas, um, it's one of the big, big, big issues out there that despite the economy, despite how bad the administration is doing and government overreach and forcing uh, people to go down certain roads and, and really just not being empathetic and, and aware of people's current situations and saying, well, you can spend $1,000 and we'll give you $300. That, that's not a good aspect. Um, and then closing, I want to talk about this story. Um, somebody sent me this this morning. I, this is a great story. A Christian school out of – you've probably heard of this – a private Christian school out of Florida. The principal sent out an email saying, hey, just so everybody's aware, we have this policy um, on basically upstanding to – standing up for biblical moral values on gender, um, saying that – and he said – the principal said that he said, we're not going to abandon this policy. God has spoken on these issues. And he says, if I back down from something like this, I'm abandoning what God has said uh, is the truth. And he's like, I kind of rack my brain. Like, how is this hard for people to understand? This is what God said. And this is nothing new that the, the, the school put into effect. It's something that's always been there. But obviously with the heightening aspect and the promotion of LGBTQ type stuff is these are becoming concerning issues for parents. Um, as a possibility, as we're seeing in Virginia, of having the stuff being pushed down their throat, of allowing certain kids to influence other kids and take away their innocence. And there was one mother who child identifies or is a identifies as a lesbian. Doesn't I don't think the child actually understands what that really means. Um, and John West says this: unless they're actually performing uh, <laughs> intercourse, uh, they're not actually either lesbian or gay. It's just they're they're playing mind games um, with with children. So it, it that's a big thing there. But the the policy that they said is if anybody comes out of this is unfortunately we have to remove you from the school because you're not standing with the policies and the agreement that you signed that the parents signed to be able to send their kids there. And the parent here um, just quietly pulled their kid out. They respect she respects the policy of the school because they've been very clear about it from the very beginning. It's in their policies and procedures pamphlet that you get when you sign up, and that's normal, and they have every right to do it as a private school. 
Um, doesn't matter if it's the fact of Christian. If there's a private school that was for it, they would have every right to stand for it. Doesn't mean I agree with them, but they do, under the First Amendment, have the right to rule their school that way. And if they're able to show a better education policy and procedure and uh, in educating their children better, then that's totally up for a parent to decide. Doesn't mean uh, that I people agree with it or that it's it's biblical. We stand with it, but First Amendment, they have the right. So, um, but great story of a principal standing up. He and and what's interesting is he's been getting death threats and and, and everything like that. This and he's telling people and people have been sending him donations and letters of support saying stay strong keep the faith parents who usually go to other churches ended up coming to this church and, and showing support and saying we stand behind you and that's what that's what's going to be needed and we talked about it last week about how education is, is the key aspect and we ended on it last week about how this has been a battle since the beginning of the founding of this nation over the education of the children going back uh, to 1850, going back to even the founding, um, and more recently in the 1980s uh, uh, of uh, busing, and we saw last week of Thomas Sowell's comments on that, and the advocacy for school choice and allowing the parents to be involved, and, and somewhat forcing the parents' hands to be involved, and that's usually what shows uh, when parents make better decisions is when they're forced to be involved to a degree of saying, hey, if you want your kid to have a good education, you need to pick the proper school. We're going to give you the money to it. And on the lines of President Trump's quote of no parent should be forced to send their kid to a failing public government funded school. Wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, statistics show that not only do kids get a better education when parents are number one involved, um, but are able to send them to a any school that they choose. Um, but also it saves the taxpayers dollars. Rather than having to give bloated government schools money um, to spend more so on administration, you actually give it to schools who teach your kids reading, writing, and arithmetic. Um, so I close on that. Great story there. Let's continue to, to pray. Um, it's a big week for economic uh, indicators coming out this week, so we'll, we'll pay attention to some of those um, and continue praying for revival in this month. So blessings, and I will see you guys later. Have a good one.